Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. Amen. Thank you, Peter. Well, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, like Peter said, my name is Austin Johnson. I'm on staff here at The Rim where I get to help. Thank you. Ooh, we've got a fan club over here. That's nice. Uh, I get the privilege of helping to oversee house churches here at The Rim. And maybe this is actually your first time experiencing life in The Round, which is pretty cool. How are we feeling about The Round? Pretty cool. Which even our hope is that in doing this is really at the heartbeat of who we are. We believe that the church is not a building, but it's a people that's gathered together. And house church is really a core part of our DNA as we're doing life together inside of homes. And so part of the hope is that even being in a round is meant to reflect. If you're gathering with people in your home, you'd probably be sitting in a circle. You probably wouldn't be focused on one person. So that's part of our hope today. And as we gather in the round that we would actually begin to reflect, okay, we are a people that is not about one person in particular, but ultimately is about all of us worshiping Jesus together. So today, uh, Peter, thank you so much. I I could just sit and listen to you read scripture like, I think we need to record you so we can audio Bible from Peter. Uh, Thank you for reading that. We'll find ourselves in James chapter three, if you've got a copy of God's word now, last week, we had the amazing T.A. come and bring God's word, which was, I don't know about you, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, he's not here, but we can give it up for T.A. Uh, but the two weeks before that, uh, we kind of kicked off this series in the book of James. Lashad kicked us off, and then Pastor Scott walked us through James chapter 2. Today, we find ourselves in James chapter 3. In the book of James, James is specifically teaching us how to integrate the good news of Jesus into every part of our life. Now, you read the book of James, and often it's kind of like this. Okay, he's saying a lot of kind of like this heavy and hard stuff. But if you know James, he was really, really heavy in the book of Proverbs. And a lot of the way that he wrote the book is it's very similar to the way Proverbs is written. It's kind of a collection of his greatest one-liners, if you will. And he's trying to help the church integrate the good news into a life people can seek. And in James chapter 3, we're specifically going to be seeing how our words reflect our hearts. Our words are windows into our hearts. So we're going to be seeing that our words really do matter. So we should watch what we say. So in James chapter 1, we find James talking about the power of the tongue. And specifically the power of words. It has the ability to either build or it has the power to break. Now we're going to look at in a minute the original design that God had for words and for language. And the invitation that God invited us into when it comes to words. But we find ourselves today, most of us, if we're honest, words aren't always used to build, but they're used to break. There's probably at some point in your life that you met someone and they said something to you and that's kind of become a name or identity that you've now been carrying around your entire life. Well, that's true or not, because of the power somebody said something to you, it's been walking with you for your whole life. But before we get into how words break, we need to understand what was actually the design of words. 
Like, what was God's actual purpose in words? And so we see in the book of Genesis, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, to kind of outline what was the original design God had for words. Genesis 2, 19 through 20. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. So when we look at the story of God, like two chapters in, we see that God is creating by the power of his word. God speaks and life is created. God speaks and chaos comes to order. Make sure this is good. A new world is built. God's word and speaking, it's powerful and it changes everything. His voice gives both identity and purpose. So as God creates, we see he's breathing life into Adam. Like God's very breath, he breathes it into Adam. But then he invites him into helping create and helping be a co-creator and helping to unlock the hidden potential that's in this world that God has just created by giving Humanity, the role of helping to name animals that have been created. He invites Adam and Eve into his creative work to create by giving identity with the power of words. So in the very beginning, God speaks and new life is created. So God gave breath to Adam and Eve and he invites them into being a co-creator with them. That he's actually given the responsibility to help give identity and give purpose to this world that God is creating. So we look at God's design. God's design for words is it's meant to build. It's meant to help create a world. Because ultimately, what you call something, there's now a purpose that's flowing from it. Just like we talked about. If somebody gives you a name, I don't know if you've ever looked up your name, uh, but actually it means something. That when you actually name your kid... You're giving them a name that actually has a meaning. So this is, there's this idea. We've been invited to partner with God in creating. Now, I want you to think for a moment. We talked about maybe something negatively that somebody said to you that stuck with you. But think about for the moment some, a person that said something really significant to you. You remember that maybe it was your, a teacher or your granddad or your mom or your dad that they said they spoke life into you and they probably said something like, I see in you blank. This is what I see in you. Even if you don't see it in yourself, I see in you blank. Which as an aside, the four most powerful letters in the alphabet are I see in you. If you have an I see in you conversation with someone, I guarantee you, you're breathing life and building up that person. So maybe just as a challenge, maybe try and have an I see in you conversation this week, either with your kids or a coworker or even someone that may not be walking with Jesus is going, hey, I see this in you. And you'll be amazed that they begin to actually recognize, oh my goodness, like you see this in me and there's life that's being created. Because that's what we're originally invited into, that with our words, we're meant to partner with God and remind people of their identity. I see in you. So the power of tongue and words in the beginning, they're always used for building until the serpent came. Until the serpent came. When you think about it, the fall of humanity began with the tongue. 
the serpent coming and saying, did God really say? Did God really say? A question. Words that were designed to build, we see that as the serpent comes, words begin to question. And this cycle of words actually beginning to break enters the story. He approaches Adam and Eve with a question with words, and he leads them towards trusting in themselves instead of trusting in God. And ever since that day, what was meant to be used to speak life and to build up has become a fire that tears down more than it builds up. But God's desire for our words is still to build up. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, putting away lying... Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So God's design for us is that we're invited in to actually use our words to build and not to break. But the serpent enters the story and the story begins to change. So how it's going for us, it's, it's not going super well. Like words are probably most commonly used to break and not to build. And James paints a pretty bleak picture that how our tongues are like fire that breaks that which is around them. So to make this a little more specific, this is kind of point number two, is we're going to look at the ways that we break. The ways we actually use words to break, if we're honest. And so we're going to look at specifically four different ways that are pretty prominent in our culture that words are used to break and not to build. The first one is slanderous and gossipful words. Slanderous and gossipful words. Now, slander, the definition, it occurs when someone shares something about someone else that is not factual, perhaps just partially true but it results in damaging the individual's reputation and name. And gossip, it's spreading rumors and details of another person's life without A, them being there, or B, their presence and their knowledge. But this is how crazy, the subtlety of slander and gossip, it can go from anywhere, hey, you're just having coffee with a friend, and all of a sudden that you're talking about your other friend that's not there, and you're talking about all the, the, the bad stuff going on in their life, even all the way to... At, to be honest, in church, we're in a house church, sharing a prayer request about somebody. Could you guys just be praying for Neil? He's really going through a hard time. Like, if you aren't careful, like, what sounds like, hey, I, I'm, I just want to be praying for this person that actually we're actually maybe slandering and gossiping about somebody. And it, it, it may be look, making us look better, but ultimately it's breaking them and it's breaking their reputation. Because when you slander someone, you're ultimately giving a brother or sister that's been created in the image of God, you're giving them a name that God has not given them. The same thing. We were invited into being co-creators with God, that we speak, and we're meant to be reminding people of our identity. But when we gossip and slander people, ultimately it's shifting, and we're giving people false names. 
that God has not given. This is what it says in Proverbs 6. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an, are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying hand, tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. When we slander and gossip against someone or someones, we're defacing and devaluing a fellow image bearer of God. All for the point that you might look a little bit better, but without knowing it, your attempt to promote your image at the expense of someone else is actually devaluing your image. Is if we were designed to actually be co-creators with God, that we're meant to unlock the hidden potential in this world. That as we slander and gossip, we're actually in the process of trying to put ourselves up without knowing it, we're putting ourselves down. God's design has been broken. It's the power of words. So there's slanderous and gossipful words. The second one of the most prominent ways that we use words are boastful words. Boastful words. And that's this definition of is excessively proud and self-satisfied talk about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. It's everybody, I'm sure, we'll say his name is Sam, okay? We've got a Sam, he's our illustration, okay? Everybody knows a Sam where somehow, some way, whenever you hang out with Sam, the Dallas Cowboys come up. Like, it doesn't matter what you're talking about, but the Dallas Cowboys somehow, or the Packers, uh, come up in conversation. Somehow, some way, it's like, I was talking about what I had for dinner last night, and somehow we're all of a sudden talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Like, it's the person that somehow, some way, they're, they're finding a way to talk about and insert their achievements into the conversation. But ultimately, it's rooted in pride and the need to prove yourself. That you're needing the people around you to know that, okay, what have you done really, really well? And it's an effort to, to put yourself above other people. And ultimately, you become known for what separates you from others. We're actually constantly telling people, hey, this is what I've done. This is how much money I have. Check out my job. Unconsciously, what's actually trying to, we're trying to put ourselves up. We're trying to prove ourselves to the people around us. We're actually creating barriers that separate us. So in an attempt to earn people's approval, we're actually doing the complete opposite as we're creating barriers that are keeping us from others, a real relationship. It's ultimately an attempt at increasing your status by forcing others to compare themselves to you. Now, C.S. Lewis, he says this, Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is a thief of joy. It's a thief of joy both to the person that you're boasting to, but don't miss this. I think it's also the thief of joy for you who are boasting. By forcing the other person to compare themselves to you, their joy is being stripped and robbed. And your joy is being stripped as well because you've put all these exterior achievements and possessions between you and people, hoping that by proving yourself, People are going to like you. You're going to have more friends. But in reality, you've shown them that you're different. You're distinct and you don't want relationship. And so in an effort to put yourself up, you've actually created a tomb of loneliness, isolation, and distance from those around you. 
Jeremiah 9.23 says this. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. It's the power of words. Now, this next one, I may get a little bit uh, in trouble. Good thing Drew is not here. I think one of the ways it would be kind of foolish to talk about James. Okay, James is talking about the power of the tongue. It has the power to build or the power to break. And this next one, I think it hits home, especially in our current era. I don't know what, what realm of, of life that we're living in. That's social media. Now, one of the most prominent ways that we have an opportunity to build or to break in our culture today, it's the digital tongue, so to speak. And that, that's social media. Now, I'll, I'll read this from Romans chapter 12. Let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, take the lead in honoring one another, do not lack diligence in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And don't repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in the eyes of everyone. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So there's this idea of when I'm talking with somebody face to face, okay, yeah, we're going to be nice. But it seems like in our culture, as soon as it becomes, there's this digital platform that separates us from someone, oh, we can say whatever we want. Like what I may have not said, if we're talking face-to-face, well, I'm going to say whatever I want on social media. And we think about if we, I'm sure we all are either that person or we have people that we know that if we just looked at your social media or looked at someone's social media, what does that reveal about who we are? As people, we talked. We, we we already looked, talked about okay, slanderous and gossipful words. We're ultimately on our social media. How do we talk about people? Now I'll say this: social media. It's a tool that can be used and be used for good. Everyone talks about talking about other people. There are ways to talk about other people and to share our opinions on social media. Like I think we should, and we get to. Those are really really good things. And. That does not give us liberty or license to slander or gossip or devalue other image bearers of God. So I'll even say this from a political perspective. Whether it was previous President Trump or current President Biden, there are ways to disagree with people politically. Absolutely. And we should. Like, it's okay that we have different political views. That is okay. And we there are ways to healthily share those things. And... There are ways that we don't gossip and slander and speak against leaders that are made in the image of God. Like President Trump, he is an image bearer of God. President Biden is an image bearer of God. 
And there are ways that we can talk about these men and their policies that is not slandering and gossip them as image bearers of God. So we as a church, if we can't figure it out, then what's the hope of the world? Like if people are looking at us and we're supposed to be the ones that are speaking life, that God's design is that we would actually, with the power of our words, speak life. But if we just go to our social media, what does that say about how we're speaking life? Again, I want to say this again. There are ways to be critical and to critique. And there are ways of doing that without devaluing image bearers of God. And I'll even say this. We're in a church. You can even take this when we're talking about other, other pastors or other people in the Christian world. Where we can talk about, okay, this pastor is, is bad because of X, Y, and Z. And again, there are ways to be critical and to critique. And there's so many people that you've never met them. I've never met them. Like we never actually have sat down and had a conversation face to face. And like I'm sure there's things I've said in this sermon that if somebody takes out of context, it's like, hey, that's not, that's not what I mean. Without an opportunity to, hey, like we are all image bearers of God and how we reflect ourselves on social media has to follow suit. Hopefully I don't get in trouble for that. Just kidding. I don't really care. So may we be a church that's known for how we love our enemies, whoever our enemies are, whoever they may be. If people who claim to walk with Jesus, man, if we're publicly throwing people under the bus, privately or publicly, why should anybody listen to us? Like if Jesus has come to rescue, redeem, and restore, man, Jesus is our hope. That we're pointing people to the word. We're pointing people to the word that has become flesh. Then in everything that we do, may we be people that are marked not by our words in and of ourselves, but pointing people to the word and to our ultimate hope. The last kind of subcategory here about how I think words typically break, that's critical words. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And James 4 says, Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, I want to be careful again. It's important to us for us to understand. I think there's a difference between critique and a critical person, okay? We need people in our life that are critical, that are looking at us, that, they're, hey, they're offering critique. The good, the bad, hey, this is what's going really well. This is what's going really poorly. And there's a difference, a critical person, it's someone that is always looking to get you. They're always looking for the negative. It's this idea of, hey, you're all untrustworthy until you prove yourself that you're trustworthy. I'm just waiting for something bad to happen so I can say, hey, I told you so. I knew it. But ultimately, with, uh, again, we all have wounds, right? And that's okay. And Jesus wants to step into our wounds. And our past doesn't have to define our future. That when we step and we live lives that are critical, it's in regards to, it's people that are looking to find fault. It's about breaking and tearing down. It's defaming or judging another person, and it's a posture 
that I can't trust others. But if you're always waiting to prove that you're right and someone else or an institution or a group of people is wrong, ultimately you will never find freedom. Because you're always keeping yourself out of something instead of leaning into what could be. So here's a couple questions I think we can ask ourselves as we're weighing and testing. Okay, how can I tell if my words are actually going to build? Or how are they actually going to break? These two questions are actually courtesy of Lashad James, wherever he is. He provided them to me. Number one is this idea of what's your intention? When you speak, what's your intention? What's the intention of your heart? What's your motivation for saying what you're about to say? Do you have malice, ill intent? Are you trying to prove yourself, make a name for yourself? Are you trying to discourage or put someone down that you, so that you might be lifted up? What's your intention? Because even if what you say goes over the other person's head, but your intention is wrong, that's sin. Jesus talks about it's not actually what you do, but it's the heart behind what you do that has jacked all of us up. That's why we're broken. So what's your intention? And number two, what's the effect? What's the intention of your heart? And number two, what's the effect? What's the effect of what you're going to say to a specific person? Because even if you know the intention of your heart may be pure, but if you know that how it's going to be received is going to cause that person to sin or to stumble, that's wrong. That's not helpful. Not helpful for building up. Our words have the power to build or the power to break. But ultimately, this is where we get to our last point, point number three. Our words are windows. Our words are windows. This is what it says in James 3, 9 through 12. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the image of God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth, my brothers and sisters. These things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grape tree produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. So when you think about it, a window, I want you to take a minute, look at our beautiful windows in our, in our gym. The purpose of a window isn't that you would just look at the window and go, man, like that, I don't know, six inch by 11 inch window is just beautiful. I know it's not inches, but I'm not good at construction stuff, Matt. Like, man, that's your really beautiful window. No, that's not the point of a window. A, me- a window is meant to be, okay, it's, it's there so you can either, if you're on the inside, you can see what's going on on the outside, or if you're on the outside, you can see what's going on on the inside. That's the purpose of a window. It's the same thing with our words. Our words as we speak is ultimately a window at what's going on on the inside of your life. The same way that if I look outside this window, the point isn't the window. Sure, some people may have nicer windows than others. But the whole point is that you can more clearly see what's going on on the outside or what's going on on the inside. And our words are windows. So this is a question. What does your window reveal? What do you find yourself talking about to others? Or even what do you find yourself dwelling on in the internal chatter of your mind? And what does that reveal about where your heart is? Because what verses 9 through 12 is telling us that it's it's hypocritical to bless God and to come here and to worship God on a Sunday morning when we're with people in, in our house church and then to enter a different space and live a different life. 
Like our words are actually windows into our hearts. Now, I don't have an actual tree, but we'll pretend this light is a tree. Ta-da. Where this is an apple tree. I don't know how to make this. This is an apple tree, okay? There's an apple there. It's an apple tree. Uh, if it's an apple tree, oranges are not going to come from this tree, right? That's ridiculous. Oranges do not come from apple trees. It's the same thing with our words. Our words are windows into who we are. You're going, okay, what does it actually reveal about us and what we actually love and we actually desire? Because we, Jesus actually talks a lot about, hey, a duplicitous life that is trying to be one person in one area and a different person in another, kind of being lukewarm. Hey, I got one foot in and one foot out. Jesus actually says it's better for people that are all out than people that are pretending to be half and half. It's better to actually just say, hey, I'm not really interested in this than to go, hey, you know, I'm going to show up and I want people to think that I'm religious and I'm cool and I'm going to do this whole Jesus thing. And so I feel good about myself. I'm proving myself to the people around me. Jesus said, be in or be out. I guess better to, to live a life of, hey, honestly, this just isn't for me than to try and pretend and fool yourself and fool the people around you. So if we're honest, when we look inside the window of our heart, we find it divided with divided affections and loves. We find it set more on our careers, our sports teams, our public image, our relationship, or something else. Our words were meant to be windows to revealing God's glory and making much of him. Instead, our tongue has been twisted, and it no longer builds, but it breaks. But the good news for us today is not only are our words a window into our hearts, but the good news is that God's word is a window into his heart. Just like our words are a window into our hearts, God's word is a window into his heart. And when we open up his word, what we find is we find a God that is leaving the 99 to come after the one. That is pursuing us. That's pursuing the broken. That's pursuing people with divided, divided affections. That the word became flesh. We open up God's word and we see that he's not distant. He's not waiting for us to figure it out because clearly we don't have it figured out. But we see God who is coming and is stepping into our story and his word reveals his heart and his heart is towards us. It's one of invitation. It's one of redemption. It's one of hope and it's one of restoration. Come on. Hello. When we open up God's word, we see that God is drawing close to us because left to ourselves, we will never draw close to God. So this is how we're going to end our time here together today. Maybe through this you recognize, you know what? Maybe this is a good question. Do you know God's heart? Have you actually gotten time, taken the time to get to know his heart through his word? Are you just taking other people's word for it? Have you actually taken the time to get to know God's heart? So as we end our time together, I'm going to give us 120 seconds to sit with Jesus. I'm going to invite you to sit and ask Jesus, what's in my window? What's in my window? And then listen to what he says. And then identify maybe what is he saying to you about what's in your window? And how is he inviting you to respond in obedience? Let's take 120 seconds to listen.
thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's Word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.